0: You're listening to a sermon from Covenant Church. Good morning. You are awake. That's good. I like it. It's good to be here. If you haven't been with us for this season, we are in a series of embodiment is what we're talking about. And as I was thinking about this, this series about considering bodies and what we do with them actually was one of those things that challenged me in a different way, a personal way. Because I have struggled with my own body image for many years of my life. And because I've never been athletic, uh, I have actually equated my masculinity with my body image. Which has fueled other struggles like insecurity and envy and other things like that. And so as we approached body, this has definitely been like a little bit harder in my own mind, in my own walk with the Lord. And each of us might be coming with something, maybe not quite that, but we all have something where we struggle with our physical bodies. And as we come today thinking about being spiritually vulnerable, but then on top of that, how we then use our spiritual vulnerability to seek and care for those who might have a physical vulnerability and others uh, who have a difficulty with their physical bodies. So we are gonna look at today 1 Corinthians, as we think about how do we care for those with physical disabilities and so forth. It's a very sensitive topic, but I just pray that we can think through this from a Christ perspective. This is how it goes in 1 Corinthians. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while the presentable parts, we need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we think through what it means to honor those among us, that you will give us hearts that are sensitive and open to your spirit. May we hear you with our ears and understand you in our hearts and go forth using the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for being present. Holy Spirit, come in your name. Amen. So we've been talking about embodiment And how the God of creation, Yahweh, created bodies and created bodies to be good. We are meant to see them as part of God's good creation and that we are all created in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. One of the ways we can also see this is God as how he uses the very body he created as part of his good order as an image for the church. As an image for his people. We are Christ's body. Isn't that an astounding thought? The very notion of being part of a church, a group of people, is equated with a calling of being part of our Savior's body. And so we here see that Paul is using this image to emphasize that physicality of the body as a follower of Christ and how we together are grafted together into that body. And so as we looked at this passage in 1 Corinthians, we see the body of Christ We see the unity and diversity, and we see what he was specifically talking about more so in this area was the gifts of the Spirit. And yet here in Corinth, the gifts were even being used as a way to evaluate each other and to make up a hierarchy. Who has a better spiritual gift than another person? But in this particular section, Paul actually shifts a little bit and goes into actually not the gifts so much as the people, So he looks at different people all together for the one purpose. It's very interesting to think about this as we think about what Paul said here in Corinth to the Corinthians. Paul is addressing the people that we often overlook, we forget, intentionally avoid, neglect, and even look down on. And if that's how Paul was addressing that in his day, how do we consider that today? One of the words that I read through when you hear that passage is the word honor. Honor. Now, how do we typically use that word today? Typically, I think of it as, you know, here today we honor so and so, whether it's for an award or like the retiree. You also hear it when we say to love and honor and cherish till death do you part. And then occasionally, even in our culture, you'll hear honor your father and mother, which in many ways I feel is more like, you know, obey, right? Be quiet and obey. So we have a little bit of an understanding of honor. It's more though like respect, uh, maybe a little bit of an elevation and esteem for someone, but it's not too high. Whereas when Paul was writing, his understanding of honor was deeper and richer and had much more weight behind it because in his day, Paul was talking to an an honor-shame culture. An honor-shame culture where people would be striving for honor, usually that meant money or wealth or status, authority, and would avoid shame at all costs. Because shame was considered, you could be ostracized from your community or your whole family could be tainted. Because even in the Roman culture, the, the group was greater than the individual. And families and clans were supposed to be our identity. And so one had a deep understanding of honor, especially related to the family. So when Paul uses this word honor, there's a greater idea behind it. He's not simply saying respect these certain people, but actually asking us to lift them up to the level of power and authority in their culture. So, in essence, we see Paul continuing what Jesus started. When Jesus was on earth, he was declaring his kingdom to be a completely upside down kingdom where he was welcoming the weak and the outcast and the marginalized, bringing them to the very center of the kingdom, in the very heart of honor, the place of honor. So, we can consider honor to honor someone in this context was meaning to prize, even there was a value placed. The the word was used occasionally as a value of like property and money. So to prize, to fix a valuation on, to revere, and to venerate. Then the word actually as a noun for honor is the value of something, and the analogy then carried to esteem, to the highest degree, dignity itself. So when we place honor, honor is placing a high value on a person, raising them to the high and dignified position. So we're gonna look at what is honor, which we just did, who do we honor, and then how do we honor? So we just took care of what is honor, the greatest understanding of dignity that we can place on a person, but now we're gonna jump into who do we honor. And as I approach this subject, I've come to you with humility that I am no expert on some of these things, but rather a person that I'm hoping to bring to light what I believe God is, his own heart for honor is all about, what his kingdom is about, and what his son's very body, our church, should be all about. We must stop and consider how do we use our bodies to honor those of others. So in Corinth, the weak would have been considered shameful, meant to be avoided. But Paul flips that upside down and says they are the ones to be exalted. So who in today do we think about as those who consider to be the weak that we need to consider exalted? Well, I thought of three groups, children, elderly, and people with disabilities. We need to consider how we can care for, but not just care and protect those, but rather honor and dignify them. Why do we think this way? Well, all of scripture has this theme running through it. And so when we stop and take a look at the bigger picture, we can see that Paul's not just picking up on something in his own ideas, but rather it's through the thread of all of history. And so we can look back, all the way back, for God's own desire to uplift and honor the vulnerable in Moses and the prophets. Here's a few examples in Deuteronomy to start with. It says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. You shall It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God will bless you in the work of your hands. Psalm 68 says this, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And in the prophets, I'll continue this theme, but in Isaiah it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Now those are more exhortations, but we even have examples in the Old Testament, one being a woman named Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner from Moab who was not a part of God's family, and yet she married into it. When her husband died and she came back to Israel with her mother-in-law, she was considered an outcast and would have been that person on the fringe. But Boaz, a man of God in Israel, took that very Deuteronomy passage of leaving the sheaf, letting Ruth then glean from the field. And because of that mercy that he showed, it ent- she entered into the family of God. And then we have David. If you don't know, David is the second king of Israel, and Saul was the first, and Saul did not really like David, and they kind of had, you know, some problems here where, you know, small thing, like Saul was trying to kill David, but David was good friends with Jonathan, his son, and when finally David comes to power, he becomes the king, he actually seeks out and wonders about any left of family left over from uh, Saul and Jonathan, who had already died and he finds a man named Mephibosheth. I know, it sounds like I sneezed, but I didn't. Mephibosheth is his name and he comes and he finds this person and he could have killed him out of like a sense of I don't want any competition in my kingdom or he could have ignored him, but he chose to actually welcome into his family and sit at the table of the king. Now, fast forward, we can see the continuation from the Old into the New Testament where Jesus comes into play. And here we see Jesus. We don't see so many of these exhortations given like what we read in Deuteronomy and the, and the, or the Psalms and the Prophets, but we see Jesus living this out. He is the true and greater Israel. He's the one who actually shows what love looks like. And so Luke does a great job at doing this whole idea of juxtaposing the rich with the poor and the the exalted with the humble. And he is the one who tends to keep that theme going, where he all throughout Luke we see these kinds of things. Luke 4, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Luke 5 was a man who had leprosy, who came and fell down at Jesus' feet. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Luke 11, Jesus is approaching a town. A man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd was behind them, and he had compassion on on them and came forward, touched the bearer, the coffin, and raised the son back to life. Luke 18 is where Jesus comes and people start bringing infants to him. His disciples rebuke them and Jesus says, Let the little children come unto me. Do not hinder, for for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Time and time again, and did you notice a lot of those, many of those times when Jesus could have simply spoken a word to heal, and in times he even did that, wasn't even in the presence of someone yet could heal them, Often, and in specific cases where people would never want to touch a person, he reached out and he touched. He healed so many people with diseases, disabilities, and he welcomed those foreigners, the Gentiles and the Samaritans. So we see from that theme of Old Testament into New Testament, and now we see with Paul continuing to drive this home specifically in the body of Christ. And if we think about that, Christ's body broken for us is meant to be the body that then we come together in unity to honor those who are broken among us. But who is the broken? Who are the broken? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up and says these words The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year. Of the Lord's favor. Now in the book that I was reading for this sermon, Stephanie Hubach, same lake, different boat, said these words. She said, when you hear the words poor, prisoner, blind, oppressed, what picture appears in your mind? Most likely you think of someone else, and that someone else is a person you may even deem to be weaker than yourself. But when we truly understand grace, we realize that the poor and the prisoners, the blind and the oppressed are us. We are the ones with desperate needs. And God, who is rich in grace, has met us in our need. The beauty of the gospel is that each of us faces a complete barrier to participation in the kingdom of God due to the profoundly disabled condition of our hearts. The good news is that Christ's perfect sacrifice applied to us makes our full participation in the life of God a reality. So God, through Christ Jesus, honored us when we had nothing to offer him. We who are part of his family have been healed and renewed, but like King David who welcomed Mephibosheth and elevated him to the status of a son, we are heirs with Christ. That is an incredible honor. So if we who have been honored in such a way, how can we not honor those in our society, specifically those who tend to be overlooked? As the body of Christ, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, restoring, protecting, loving, and honoring, especially those who have been cast aside. And yet, when we think about that, in verse 25 it says that we should have equal concern for each other. Isn't that fascinating? Another translation says the same care for one another. In the context of caring and honoring those who we seem weaker, we're actually doing it as a mutual thing. Not only do we care and protect and honor, but we actually receive from them too. So how do we honor? How do we show honor? In preparing the sermon, again, I recognized my own limitations and I sought out some advice and some help and wanted to make sure that I could share with you my heart of what I believe that we need to do. So in thinking this through, I want to say first, I'm no expert in all the things related to these issues, but that I believe that in sharing this, it will further the mission that we seek out those experts and we take those steps. Second, It's easy to hear a sermon like this and be, oh, this is a to-do list. I need to start doing this. I make it a law, and I will go, go, go. What happens with that, typically, is that that fizzles out quickly. Um, So my first recommendation at the end of all this is to pray, to consider what God would be calling you to do and seek out his guidance. And again, third, my main idea wanting us to come away with is a deeper love, compassion, and empathy— for those who are vulnerable, and to consider what we can do and what we should do, especially in response to those among us. So, again, how do we honor? When we think about our bodies being used by God to glorify Him, here's what John Stott said in a very physical, tangible kind of way. He said, "...our feet will walk in His paths, our lips will speak the truth, and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing and our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning and typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. So how do we show honor by using our bodies? Well, I use a word like, this is how you can tell if you're, being, you're showing honor. Tell. T-E-L-L. Do you like what I did there? So time, engagement, listening, and loving. Those are my ideas of how do we take this idea of honor and bring it into a very tangible way. I'm going to look at those three groups of children, elderly, and people with disabilities and think through how do we think of it as time, engagement, listening, and loving. First with children. Considering first before we even go into that tell is just how we view children in our culture. There is the extremes of children who have been neglected and abused physically or sexually or emotionally, and they have totally been dishonored. But we have the other extreme too. We have children who have been Overindulged, and they, we acquiesce to any and every whim a child may have. And that, too, does not show honor. On the one hand, even here at Covenant, as the seriousness of keeping children protected and safe is high priority in, in what we do in children's ministry, and what I have a heart for in, in children who are here, but also at their homes. But then we have the other side of there's parenting children, When we think we're, you know, being gracious or being open and yet set no boundaries. When we have no boundaries, we have no honor. And so when we think about children, we can think about gardens, right? Um, When you have plants that you want to see grow, what do you have to do? You have to set boundaries of protection of fences or trellises or things that will protect those plants from any harm so that they can flourish in the greatest kind of way. The same is true for our children. How do we think this through when we live in a culture right now that the boundaries are less and less, there are no boundaries, there isn't the same kind of common good that our culture ascribes to? How is it showing love if we would put our children maybe in a pack and play or those little gates outside to protect them physically, but we don't consider how to protect them spiritually and emotionally? But now we think of this in terms of the tell, T, time. Now, of course, I would say one of the biggest ways to show honor to a child is spending time with them if it's your own child. But we also need to think of time in a little different way, too, the time it takes to spend with a child, right? We need to think about how they are not little adults, but they do sometimes act like little adults. Like We can be easily distracted, I think. But they don't accomplish tasks fast. They can get easily distracted, and sometimes they're just totally uninterested in what you're trying to tell them to do at the time. How do we respond in those moments? How do we recognize them in their developmental stages? How do we take time to teach rather than automatically respond in kind of a discipline action? How do we take time by waiting? And then making time to engage with them. So engage is our E. For us with children, taking that time to engage with our kids to find out what they love, what they enjoy. Sometimes for me, it has actually been researching what it is that they actually are playing like certain games to understand how to engage with them. But besides our own children, how are we engaging with children in general? When we're here at church, especially if you're saying hello and there's a parent, an adult, do you ever look at the child and say hello to them as well? Do you engage with them and ask them questions? But then do you take the next step and listen? Listening, I would say, for all of these areas is one of those that shows honor to a person. That even the smallest child, who might say, you know, when they want to grow up, they want to be a baby bird or something. Even that child can have some very interesting theological insights, thoughts of their own. And they want to share with you their joys and what's important to them. This is where, you know, Pastor Josh said, this is when we don't bring them out, right? (laughs) Active listening is putting our phones away even, which I will say, my daughter especially is a good policeman of our family, who when we're playing a game or something will call me out, put your phone away, Dad. It's time to focus really on her. But, you know, focus. (laughs) But that's what we need to do in active listening, which ultimately then shows love to our own children, but then love to children in general, I will shamelessly plug, you know, here at Covenant, we have a children's ministries, in case you didn't know, right? See, Deb agrees. <laughs> so we have a wonderful place where we want to love the children of the church. But even if that's not something you feel called to, one of the things I want to also make sure you are aware of is in part of our diaconate, we have the Barkley Food Drive, which is really called the Central Bucks Farmer's Market at Barkley Elementary. And this man, the principal, Joe Brereton, had a heart to just start this. He saw that his children in his elementary school were not getting the nutrition they needed. So how could they really learn? And so he began to just provide a small amount of like a market for people to be able to pick up food. And because of that, it has now grown. And so we not only would love, you know, donations for that, but then people just go over and to visit and to be part of that support of those sweet children and their families. So, children, next, considering the vulnerable of the elderly. Clearly, in what I would say is, by nature of the elderly, we, they deserve honor. They have lived life. They deserve to be exalted and honored in that respect. But again, it can be difficult. And so how do we show honor by those tell, T-E-L-L? With time, again, it may just take time to be patient. To engage with them then, how do we listen to their stories? Are you willing to ask the questions and ask them how they need to be assisted? How do we find ways even for them to be engaged in our community by serving? Listening, by listening to their stories and understanding not only their history but their hopes and dreams even for today. Taking time to respectfully even consider their concerns. And finally, with love, Of course, we want to show love to them specifically, writing notes and visiting. There are even some among us who visit them regularly, those families who have people, um, their parents, but that is another way to show love to the families. Would you be willing to show love by going and, and sitting with them so that the caretakers can have a break? Finally, we're going to share about how do we love and honor the people with disabilities? Again, my hope here is that we understand that one size does not fit all. We want to share, think about the how we think of each person and take time, engagement, and listening and love for them, taking time to pray for people with the disabilities, but also for those who care for them, and then taking time to come up with ways of patiently engaging with them. Engagement can be simple, The simple tools that I even received some information from those in our our congregation is not having fear to engage, being willing to say hello instead of staring, being willing to ask questions as opposed to awkwardly trying to avoid. It is better to speak directly, looking them in the eye with that love and respect and honor because they are made in the image of God. Include people invite even if you don't think they may be able to come encourage also the families offering help to spend time with them giving that caretaker a break then with listening get to know people with disabilities be curious to and allow them the space and time to share their stories and lived experiences ask if they need any accommodations and if they do see what we can do for them also Get to know their families and listen to their stories without the idea of fixing it. Just listening can be the powerful tool of honoring someone. And finally, with love. How do we show love? Well, again, with, I will again bring up children. I was critiqued by my own children that I brought children's ministry up too many times. I said, well, this is my last time I get to share this. So I'm shamelessly saying it again, children's ministries. So in love... We have what we've developed over the years of kids support with a buddy system where we would love to have people who have a heart to work one-on-one with a child who may just have some uh, different learning styles and so forth that we want them to be included in our programs. so that is one way. But we also have, there is a program out there that Tim Tebow has done, it's called Night to Shine, which is a specific way that they honor um, young adults usually for honoring them those with disabilities. And we've even had nine people from our church go and support that last time they had one. And we would love to see more people go to that and support that. But in the essence of simplicity, it is also just about developing relationships, developing relationships. Remember there are those who have a heart for different ministries. So it's not that we, I, like I said at the beginning, want everyone to jump onto one of those things immediately from this moment. We are the body of Christ with spiritual gifts that we're meant to work together. And so I would want you to take the next step, which is pray. How do we pray for what God wants us to do? And when we pray for the groups, when we pray for their families, when we pray to God with open hands to say, what do you want from me? You might be surprised at what he will spur us on to do. But everyone can can do certain things by honoring those who are vulnerable. Then the Spirit, though, is the one who empowers us to live out the gospel of love and grace. It's only because of Jesus that we can do this. And so this is what Stephanie Hubach from that book, Same Lake, Different Boat, has said. In God's economy, human value is defined by the Creator Himself through the imprint of His image in mankind. Others take notice, not merely when we say this is true, but when we live like it's true. Our actions ought to declare, You are incredibly valuable. You are incredibly valuable to everyone we meet. And that is the essence of what honor is. In the same way, the powerful message of the gospel is demonstrated when we respond to others in grace-based actions. Our competitive culture is uncomfortable with the concept of weakness. When people see us as acknowledge our own frailties and intentionally engage others in the areas of brokenness, we live out the gospel of grace in powerful ways. And so this leads us to Paul's conclusion that we are one body and we should have no divisions as we equally love and care for each other. And as such, we are to feel the pain of suffering when any part of us is suffering. And we are to rejoice when any one part is honored. Let us be people who honor others so that we all can rejoice together in the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today and we rejoice in who you are, Father. I repent of my own pride and unbelief how easily it is to feel like I can do things and I am not broken. But Lord, I am a broken person in need of your grace. And Lord, we are all in need of your grace. Lord, we thank you that you have honored those of us who have come into your family, that you did not wait and push us away, that you welcomed us with open arms like the father and the prodigal son that you ran to us. Lord, we pray that because of that honor, because of the spirit within us, we can in turn honor those around us, those that we would see as vulnerable in one way or another. Father, may we have hearts and minds and feet and hands of Jesus that really desires to see how we as a group, as your body, can love and honor those around us and minister to those in need. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or in person on Sundays at 9 and 1045 a.m. Hope to see you there.